welcome to a new episode of Down the Rabbit Hole. Good morning, good afternoon, good night, everyone. Depend where you are. Uh-huh. Carl Baldwin, how are you? Um, fine, Rafa. Shall I just touch on the weather? Do you think I should? Um, Very briefly. Yeah. Uh, because it, I think it's beginning to turn a little bit, isn't it? Uh-huh. I think I was up very early yesterday morning and mm-hmm. I had the feeling this was the first autumn morning that I... For real, yeah. I think so. There's something about the light changes and mm-hmm. you get the mist, you know, and all that stuff. Seems that yesterday was properly the last uh, summer day. Yeah. Yeah, yesterday and of course we were at an event on Saturday. That was a beautiful afternoon. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it is slowly... Uh, yep. Moving along. So, there yes. you go. That there is my go. little weather slot. Yeah, weather slot. If you would like to sponsor the weather, yeah. you know, just contact us. Yeah. And today, we are going to continue with the second part of the topic. Rogue planet, alien life. Alien life. Yeah. Yeah. So, let's start with our definitions or set up the ground like always. Okay. And then what we do, our little news thing after that. Oh, the news. Oh, yeah. I forgot about Should that. Should we start yeah. with the news? Let's start with the news. Yeah, better. I mean, I Actually, know. we don't have that many. So no, don't. we don't. We just have two that we found that actually would be interesting to talk about. And the first one is about the uh, Rosetta Orbiter. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, because uh, right now they are saying that they discovered the first uh, complex organic molecules mm. uh, found. In dust particles, mm-hmm. which is a first, I believe. Yeah. Because they've never obviously been able to um, collect samples like this before. Mm-hmm. And according to the uh, scientists who are investigating, they're saying that um, the molecules are so complex they've yet to... Um, actually fully define what they are. But in the meantime, they've given them names. They've got, they have 200 particles that they're looking Mm -hmm. at. And particularly those two. Two called Kenneth and Juliet. Juliet. Now, now, you know, Uh I don't know, do they go to a lot of parties? (laughs) They they are saying that it's um, uh, carbon in a far more complex way that they would Than be actually expecting. Yeah. So, it, according to the article and to the scientists, it has been really a hard time to actually come up with a proper formula. Yeah, they haven't managed to do that yet. They're mm-hmm. working on it. But these particles are like 100 micrometers by, I don't know, 200, something like that. Mm-hmm. So they're pretty small. Um, but... Uh, some amazing science being done there, and what they've discovered is relevant to what we're going to be talking about. Exactly. So, yes. The fact that it already contains some organic material there. Yeah. And, yes, just to mention that, um, or I won't, as I can't see it now, well, was the researcher's name, but it doesn't matter. Oh, the researcher's name. Um, yeah. It was Martin Hitchenbeck. No, oh, it was Martin Hitchcock. Uh-huh. It's at the bottom there. Um, it doesn't actually say where he's from, does it? No, it doesn't really say. Um, but we tried. 
Yeah, we tried it. We tried to acknowledge. <laughs> so what what was the other one we said well, we would look at? The other Actually. one is about a brain-sensing implant brain that is sensing. letting monkeys, monkeys transcribe Shakespeare. They'll be after our jobs next, you know that, don't you? Of course. Actually, this, this brings like... A, Planet of the Apes. Planet, you know. It's the beginning. This is, is that it. The, uh, yeah. the beginning. Right? Forget about those prequels. This is it. Right <laughs> this here. This is the real it. prequel. This is the real prequel. Yeah, so this is a um, an implant or a multi-electrode array. That's <laughs> what they call them at the moment. Mm-hmm. They will be calling them implants soon. <laughs> For sure. Uh, and basically, um, these implants, this array... How many uh, points of contact did it say it had this array? Really, we should have read this better before we did this. <laughs> we were just, you know, we saw a picture of a monkey and we thought we'd do that. <laughs> Let's do the monkey. Let's do the, the monkey. monkey. Loving the monkey, right? Um, but basically what they're saying is that uh, having implanted uh, this array, array, um, the the monkeys were able to select individual letters of the alphabet from an on-screen keyboard um, and they were also able to retype letters shown to them from uh, news articles from news articles and other stuff and works by Shakespeare and works by you know why they have to keep picking on Shakespeare I don't know I know which is uh, the English use in his works uh, is, you know, not exactly... What we use nowadays, right? Yeah, I mean, you don't want to be confusing the monkeys from the beginning, right? <laughs> I mean, this is how you end up with problems. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, but yeah. they managed 12 yeah. words a minute. 12 words per minute. They didn't understand any of it, as much mm-hmm. as we don't either. But um, uh, not bad, 12 words per minute. And they're actually thinking that this uh, implant is going to help with pro- uh, people that has yeah. problems of... Um, uh, communication and yeah. you know any kind of uh, I mean imagine like people with these like locked in syndrome mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know like uh, in exactly you know they, they've already found that something like 20% of people in what were thought to be persistent vegetative mm-hmm. state are actually have like an internal life shall we say mm-hmm. they are actually conscious yeah. imagine if this could be developed so that they could actually um, begin communicating that would be amazing uh huh so there's our news, people. We'll try and uh, read them a bit better next time before, <laughs> before we relay it. Yeah. Well, let's go back then to our, yeah, our topic. subject, our mm. topic of today. Yeah. Because it's about alien life mm. in a rogue planet. And, yeah, it's kind of um, rather than looking at the conventional view of mm-hmm. life origins and where life, obviously we only have our own little planet to, um, as an example but mm-hmm. there are some interesting ideas about uh, the possibility of life emerging and developing in more unusual situations and the ones that we're particularly looking at are today are the possibility of the kind of progenitors of mm-hmm. life beginning in interstellar space um and then the possibility that um, that life could develop and become more complex, not mm-hmm. on a not on a planetary body like the Earth going round as a sun, a stellar object, mm-hmm. but actually on a rogue planet. So 
A rogue planet, as we covered last week, is basically a body, um, uh, you know, kind of, let us say, the size of planet Earth, or maybe up to maybe three times bigger. Mm-hmm. Um, but somehow in its past, it has been ejected from a system and is now wandering through the blackness of interstellar yeah. space. But amazingly, there are possibilities that it could, uh, actually, a rogue planet could have life developed on it. Mm-hmm. And that... Um, and that it has been, it is now thought that there may be billions of rogue planets uh, wandering mm-hmm. around the Milky Way. Yeah, and one of the main reasons is about the atmosphere. Yeah. That pra- practically they are keeping a very thick atmosphere. Yeah, potentially. That is actually keeping the planet warm. Yeah. Well, not only the atmosphere, but... Um, like the Earth was obviously formed around the sun, and it has a molten core, mm-hmm. and there's also radiation heating as well. And there's another one. There is uh, tidal. Tidal. If, if they would have a moon, if it, well, it will just yeah, or it was a moon going around something. Uh-huh. As you say, if it had a moon, the moon could be exhibiting tidal forces on it. So that's yeah. like friction heating as it compresses and mm-hmm. expands it, and. The interesting thing is that um, it is thought that if a planet was ejected from a system, Mm -hmm. um, even though there is now obviously no sun there, um, it could actually remain in a state where conditions were um, suitable for life for up to 10 billion years. Wow. Which is amazing, right? I mean, our planet has only been here maybe four and a half billion years, four and a half and it's thought life started shortly after that. So imagine if planet Earth got ejected from the solar system with the progenitors of life on it, might that life continue to have developed? Interesting, well, isn't it? yeah. Pro- mm. Probably life could continue. Mm. I don't know if humans would continue. Well, no, I don't think. Because we, we would be losing the sun. We would be losing. The, there would be no plant life as we know mm-hmm. it because there's no sunlight. Exactly. Obviously. Um, but obviously, in the these situations, evolution would go down a different path. Of course, um, because it would largely be powered by heat, not light. And it's very interesting the fact that uh, actually, in the Milky Way, we could be having billions of these types of, of planets. those types. Yeah, but. The thing, if we just go back to how mm-hmm. how could life actually begin in space, um, the current thinking is that um, that basically in space there are energy sources to to drive complex chemistry, which is needed to get life started, and that um, energy is in the form of radiation, like mm-hmm. ultraviolet radiation, for example. Um, and that effectively um, life, the building blocks, could actually be started from quite simple substances under the conditions of interstellar space. And in fact, work was done. There was a an announcement in April 2016 uh, from the University of uh, Nice in France mm-hmm. 
um, by a lady scientist called Cornelia Minot, I think it is, where they reproduce the conditions of interstellar space and using a mixture of frozen water, methanol and ammonia, mm. all compounds known to exist in yeah. vast quantities, mm-hmm. um, they actually showed that sugars were being produced, including ribose, which is part of the DNA-like molecule RNA. So this suggests, this work suggests that the fundamental uh, molecules of life could be formed in outer space mm-hmm. and then kind of rained on to planets, which is this panspermia theory. Yes. And if you can, I kind of was thinking about this when we were putting these notes together and I thought, well, you kind of think, well, actually that's kind of, maybe that's a really simple mechanism where you can have all these planets forming and then you have these pre-genitor molecules forming in space, mm-hmm. in interstellar space, or on comets or whatever it is. And then basically that just spreads everywhere. And if yeah. there's a possibility for life to develop, it will develop. Of course, if it's crossing near a planet. Yeah, or it smashes into one or whatever or it smashes. is. And there's another interesting thing. Yeah, uh, There is this uh, theory that actually that number of rogue planets could outnumber the planets with suns. <laughs> that's right. So that makes you think that most likely yeah. there is some rogue planets having life. And what would be fascinating, would could it actually, in the absence of sunlight, uh-huh. could intelligence actually evolve? Evolve. And what would that be like? Like well, a perpetual darkness, right? Mm-hmm. Well, oh, that, that certainly changes all our perceptions yeah, about life and evolution. Exactly. I mean, if you were living on a planet that continued to be volcanic, for example, then mm-hmm. maybe there'd be some very dim light, uh, like uh, towards the infrared or something yeah. like that. And maybe that would affect how your sense organs would develop and so on and so forth. Yeah, of course. And of course, the sky would be very bright, obviously. Mm-hmm. If there was a well, if there was an atmosphere that was transparent, um, it'd be it leads to some fascinating ideas, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. Um, and you know, maybe at some point we will find. Well, we believe we have literally our own rogue planet in our solar system. So yes, maybe there's a possibility in the far future that we could visit that. And uh, yeah. What if that had an atmosphere? I, th- I think be... they were considering 185 light years, like the borderline of planets that uh, we could try to somehow try to reach. reach. Well, because there's this project called Starshot. It mm-hmm. was, uh, I think it was announced in the last month. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think as a Russian billionaire, he's put up $100 million. Dollars. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Don't recall if he was Russian. More, maybe yes. I think he's Russian. And uh, $100 million dollars... And I think backing or included involved in the product is Stephen Hawking, mm-hmm. several other people. Oh, yeah, I remember now that. Yeah, This yeah. is the one gram probe, uh-huh. right? So the, the probe with all the instrumentation on it can only weigh one gram. One gram. And it's kind of like a star cell, and it requires the building of a gigawatt laser installation on the surface of the Earth. And that apparently, this is what they're we'll saying the in impulse. this... Day. It will be the drive and 
Yes, this what shocked me, that it would accelerate from zero in orbit to 20% of the speed of light in under five minutes. Wow. That is like, wow. Mm-hmm. But of course, you know, it's just got one gram of... Uh, and apparently other problems they've yet figured out is <laughs> how the sail is going to withstand a one gigawatt, you know, kind of patch of light yeah. falling on it, but... And not only that, there's always, with that amount of speed, mm. fragments, rocks, or whatever, you could find that could just... Well, of course, it could be shredded within uh, within at any point, couldn't it? Exactly. As we haven't got the deflector shields yet. No. <laughs> and I've got a feeling they'll weigh more than one gram when we do. But, um, but what was interesting, I actually found this a little bit hard to believe, actually, uh-huh. because we're both into technology. Yeah. And what they were saying was that if you took a mobile phone... Because uh-huh. people, people are obviously saying, one gram, come on, you know, what can you get in one gram? And they were saying, if you took a mobile phone and stripped everything out of it and just left um, the, sensors, the sensors, that would weigh one gram. Now, I mm. find that a little hard to believe, but... Could be, I don't know. Uh, the thing is that you would still need processor and things to hold up. But that costs sensors, nothing, right. well, doesn't it? That costs. That's no, just silicon. It's just a bit of silicon. But uh-huh. but then. But in terms of weight. But they've also got to communi- have communication systems as well. I presume they use this sail mm-hmm. will double up as an antenna, presumably. Anyway. And probably to steer it or. Some like a sailing ship. Like a sailing ship, yeah. Um, and they were saying that they could get to this near star that they've recently discovered. Uh, that this star shot could get there in um, four years. Wow, that's so close, so fast. Four years, right? Mm-hmm. Anyway, we're we're diverting from our diverting from our um, subject a little bit, yeah. but um, just to kind of pick up on it, which was about um, how. How do you actually get these pregenitor molecules to actually do something more complex mm-hmm. and form, shall we say, DNA, for example? Um, the problem with that is that uh, we haven't figured out actually mm-hmm. how to do that here yet. Yeah. Um, but there is nothing theoretically to say it could not happen in space. There's nothing... That says it exactly, can't just like now they found these complex carbon molecules. Exactly. Maybe this is a, a signal that exactly. this is possible. And the fact that it's been hard for us here now to get to a formula, correct formula, yeah. it's, May, how complex that could it be is. part yeah, yeah. of... Anyway, according to the current thinking, um, astrologist, uh, astrobiologist, sorry, Charles Cockle of the University of Edinburgh in the UK said as a general guide that uh, if we assume life is going to be carbon-based because it's the only mm-hmm. evidence we've got, and again, this molecule is carbon-based that they found yeah. on Rosetta, um, his view is that, generally speaking, uh, to um, move towards these more complex molecules you're going to have to have water somewhere. Yeah. And that water effectively is, an, is a norm that is a given. You've got to have it somehow. It's like a catalyst. Therefore. Like a catalyst, because water 
is a fantastic uh, uh, catalyst for complex chemistry to occur in. And um, so if we think about carbon life forms, then um, there's another bit of research that was actually done in the 19th century by a German scientist called Strecker. And he came up with... uh, he discovered a chemical reaction that was named after him called the Strecker synthesis. Mm-hmm. And um, he found that simple organic molecules um, called ketones and aldehydes, which combine with hydrogen, cyanide, and ammonia, can actually be formed uh, just by um, by this very simple process and they could form on icy grains mm-hmm. so your icy grains are your water and there's your water so now you can have your chemical uh, complex chemistry occurring as long as you have an energy source uh, and the only energy source there is in deep space of course is radiation of various kinds mm-hmm. um, but there is actually a a point where it becomes difficult and that is that once you've got a certain complexity, you, ha- you have to actually then cross a, an energy barrier in chemical processing mm-hmm. to get the, the next complexity. And that's where the thinking is that possibly you get so far in interstellar space, then you have to have some kind of planetary body for it to then become more complex mm-hmm. on, because the energy sources are bigger but the more gentle yeah. heat potentially light but again for our subject rogue planets um it is um definitely uh, believed that if this chemical regenerators entered onto a say a rogue planet or a planet like uh, or a, a moon like europa or ganymede which are these mm-hmm. uh, experience these tidal forces that keep them volcanic, that these pregenitor materials could then get over this energy barrier that they need, the extra mm-hmm. energy, to form complex chemicals. And this is mostly about talking carbon-based. We're only talking carbon because, again, carbon is um, the most... Abundant. Abundant. Oh, actually, I... Um, yeah, I'm not sure which is most abundant, silicon or carbon. Silicon. But, uh, but carbon has this ability to form bonds very easily with other yeah. atoms and molecules, and silicon is not quite as good. Requires actually more temperature. Yeah, a bit more energy. Right? Energy, yeah. So carbon is a lower lower temperature, will, yeah. will allow lower temperature chemical reactions to take place. So it would be interesting... Um, obviously it is interesting that there is this potential for life on these dark kind of planets. Yeah. Um, and in fact, to um, kind of wrap it up in a way, um, there is uh, two, there are two astrophysicists, Dorian Abbott and Eric Switzer at the University of Chicago, and talking about the potential for life on a rogue planet, they call these planets Steppenwolf planets. 
because yeah. because they say any life in this strange habitat would exist like a lone wolf wandering the galactic steppe, which is quite poetic, really. <laughs> yeah. uh, so, um, so yes, who knows what might be out there for us to discover at some point in mm-hmm. the future, and that uh, what happened here is not necessarily the only way forwards. Yeah. So what does our listeners uh, yeah. think about it? This this is a little out there, this mm-hmm. idea, but... Yes, this, uh, how can we say, soup, mm. this uh, mm. mixing of elements. Yes, the chemistry, the chemistry. in interstellar space. Could life have begun actually in interstellar yeah. space and mm-hmm. then evolved on planetary bodies, mm-hmm. um, particularly rogue planets? And like we were mentioning last week... Mm. Uh, That's why uh, many uh, probes and whatever is being sent to space gets uh, sterilized, gets before they go, yeah. before it goes to prevent to this. prevent that you would affect the normal evolution of a planet. Yeah. yeah. Now, up to which point we would actually mm. be doing this, and maybe not try in the near future, uh, mm. because there's probably so much pollution or mm-hmm. stuff raining down. Mm-hmm. And and I think another area that uh, would be interesting to hear from people about would be um, if intelligent life was able to develop on a rogue planet, what might it be like? I have a couple of suggestions. Mm-hmm. One like? is there will be no sunglasses industry. Oh, that's for sure. There will be no... Um, Or you don't know? Uh, well, if there's no sun... It would be it would be strictly a fashion well, item. Yeah, I think you would no call it maybe UV light Big, filter could be glasses right. or you something. You could be right. Yeah. And I was thinking of there would be no need for a lot of cosmetics, probably. Mm-hmm. Again, though, it could be different. Or maybe just cosmetics to prevent getting the, your skin getting bad, getting burnt, or mm-hmm. from the radiation, mm-hmm. the radioactive. Yeah, alternatives. That's what it would be, wouldn't it? Yeah. There'd be alternatives. Now, the fact that they will keep, actually, a thicker atmosphere, mm. how do you think that would influence, actually, mm. in if, if, we would, if we would put something like a, a human civilization in these conditions? Yeah. Aren't we heading that way? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, having a thicker atmosphere doesn't obviously necessarily mean you can't see the night sky. No, no, no. Well, obviously it's impermanent night because it's a rogue planet, but um, <laughs> who knows, right? Um, yeah. It's fascinating, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, imagine if you live on a planet that has clouds but no sun. So on a sunny day, <laughs> I was about to say, <laughs> with, with scattered clouds, obviously behind the clouds would be the stars, The Milky yeah. Way. And so But they would have, provide some kind of in the indirect light in there. Well, you'd have backlit clouds, wouldn't you? And probably they would kind of illuminate. You know, they'd kind mm-hmm. of spread, diffuse the light out, wouldn't they, or mm-hmm. something? It does make you. Um, would be quite fascinating, actually. Anyway, enough of our speculation. <laughs> so, those uh, rogue planets. Mm-hmm. Um, could become also uh, an alternative for us someday. As uh, potentially... Habit- habitable. 
a habitable planet. Well, we could use them to dump rubbish on. <laughs> You're always Why looking not? for that. Yeah. Right? You know, like a planetary landfill. Yeah, like right? throw it in a garbage planet. Yeah, and <laughs> even if there's intelligent life in it, because we don't recognise it, we'll just dump on it anyway. Yeah. Which is what we do, right? <laughs> and the other thought I had was, could a rogue planet that had the beginnings of evolution on it, could it then be potentially recaptured by a system in the future? <laughs> That's another interesting uh, point of view because then, what if a rock planet suddenly passes through a solar system and gets captured and gets there yeah. and goes into orbit and that's and, what and they're more intelligent than we are which let's face it is probably not <laughs> that difficult <laughs> by the evidence yeah <laughs> well you know there has been a lot of talk about this planet nine Planet nine. Yes, the fact that there's an object, there's something yeah. with a very if only they could find uh, it, yeah. big uh, orbit. Mm. What if maybe this is actually one of those cases, a rogue planet passing Absolutely. by that got trapped into the yeah. gravitation maybe of the it, sun and maybe it did. get a very eccentric orbit? Yeah, very. Yeah, the way it was moving gets trapped into the solar system and that kind forces of you to have a very eccentric mm, orbit, swinging about there. Uh huh. But we're not, they don't think we're going to see it for some considerable time. Yeah. I mean, it's not going to come in. No, I unless think, we talk about the other one, you know. No, not the funny one. No, we're not doing that one. <laughs> a, but ju just one thing about this Planet Nine thing. Uh -huh. Am I correct in that it doesn't actually go, come all the way in and round the sun? Does it kind of orbit like out like that and the sun's here? Is it doing that? Or does it go like that? <laughs> Good question. Obviously, this illustration is perfect for radio. As uh -huh. I'm gestulating yeah. a rapper across <laughs> the table. Well, he's making that, that typical move of having the yeah, sun I'm in the middle. I'm doing the orbits. Yeah. The, and the orbit around. I have no orange available, so I can't no. do it properly. But <laughs> Orange and apples. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, I don't know. Yeah. Well, that's it, I think, for today. Okay. It's something just to reflect. Mm. Think about it. Alternatives. Yes. And if you have any ideas mm. that you would like to share with us, go ahead, and write us a message. If you're on a nearby rogue planet, mm -hmm. we'd love to hear from you. Yeah. What are your ideas on rogue planets? Yes. And what are you doing in our solar system? Mm -hmm. That will be the second question. Mm -hmm. Okay. Thank you so much for listening. Okay. And thank you, Carl. Thank you, Raf. Uh, my name is Rafael Ruiz, and we will talk to you next week with another topic down the rabbit hole. All names, sounds, logos, and other related items are owned by their respective trademark and copyright holders. This podcast is a production of Dark Mind Radio. Go to darkmindradio.com to find out more. All rights reserved. Dark Mind Radio 2016.